Well, welcome to the Rob Report here on WDAY 970. This is Connor Swanson. I'm in for Rob Port today. Um, if you'd like to participate with us at all, you can call in at 293-9000 or 888-970-9329. Or you can email us or text us at, at talk at WDAY.com. Um, today we have a couple of guests coming in. Um, I've set up, we have Will Gardner. Will Gardner is running for the Secretary of State of North Dakota. Uh, Will is running as a Republican. And, um, and then later on in the show, in our next hour, we'll be having Betty Grandy join us. Betty Grandy is a former state legislator, um, and she's been active in pro-Israeli causes in the United States. So we'll be talking about um, a multitude of things. This is kind of a big issue, um, kind of starting with Trump's move of the embassy to uh, Jerusalem, move from recognizing our U.S. embassy in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So um, we've got an exciting show today. I know Rob's off enjoying his vacation. Um, so we'll have two hours of that for you. Um, and first, we'll be having Will Gardner on. And Will Gardner is joining us here from his home in Bismarck. Thank you for joining us today, Will. Hey, Connor. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the time here. Yeah. Um, so we'll get right into it. Um, you can tell us first a little bit about uh, yourself, Will, um, your background, where where you're coming from, and why you decided to run for the Secretary of State this year. Well, sure. And just one small correction for people that are living in Mandan. Hey, hey Will lives in Mandan, <laughs> but it's right across the river. It's the same same area. Um, and I live in Mandan now. I was originally from south of Dickinson, a small town called New England. And I, um, I'm the oldest of nine. I worked on a farm. And then I moved and packed up and went to NDSU. I turned 18, graduated, and and then after after college, I started a software development company out in Fargo. And so I lived in Fargo for 10 years, and I, I very much enjoyed my time there. Um, and we got a little closer to... Oh, it was about 2007, eight. We decided to pack up and head out west, back closer to family here in the western side of the state, and that's where we live right now. Awesome. So, um, so you've decided to run for the secretary of state, and currently, and run as a Republican. And currently, we are we have a, a Republican secretary of state, Al Jagger. And so, I'd understand that you are running for the same nomination. I know that he's also running for reelection. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, uh, and I'm just saying that to set up the situation, mm-hmm. um, tell, tell us about, so what are some of the issues you're looking to bring in the secretary of state's office? I know you said you opened your, you have your own software or software company that you created. Um, but so what, yes. what are some of the things, what are your biggest issues that you're looking to tackle? Well, <clears throat> great question. And, uh, just right off the bat, the, the three issues that are the most important in my mind are just being uh, having a proactive leadership in the office, just being being engaged uh, with other stakeholders around the state, uh, other leaders in the state, just having a great working relationship with them, just having some energy when when the secretary comes on the radio or on on TV to people who are coming to North Dakota or considering a life here or a career here to know that there is some energy in the state and this is a place where they want to start a business because um, that kind of leads into the to the second point because business registrations are a, the first piece of interaction that a potential business owner is going to have when they come to North Dakota or they're considering 
um, their time here. And one of the things that's that's very much in need is an electronic um, submission and registration of businesses. And right now, the what we tell business owners across the state is, and people who want to start a new business or register um, the many different entities that are registered through the Secretary of State is um, you can either fax in or mail in your registration form. And so that's that's not what we want to do in our state. We want to show people that we are very pro-business and we are we are um, we are being up in the times with with all the new technology and so that that is uh, the second point and then the third I'll just uh, say real quickly is election integrity issues that that we have in our state. Okay, um, those are some interesting three points you have. I want to go to your first. I have a couple questions about them. I want to go to your first point you have about kind of being a proactive, energized face with the Secretary of State. Um, are do what what kind of role do you see the Secretary of State having actively in our state? I know um, mostly the Secretary of State's kind of been a behind the scenes office of they run like you talked about the business registration. Um, they are mm-hmm. most people know about the Secretary of State of running the elections, being the chief election officer. But what do you mean about right. being um, leadership? Kind of what? What do you want to do yeah. with that role? That's that's a good point, and it's something that's kind of been a hidden gem in in the the role of the Secretary of State. The Secretary is when I started looking at what I wanted to do with the rest of my life after um, my successful career in business here, I. I started reading about the Secretary of State, and I said, isn't there there's something more than just recording information? And, and sure enough, in the very first page of the mission statement, it says that the, that the Secretary is to act as an ambassador for the state of North Dakota, for our people, for our way of life. And I thought, wow, that's a, that is such an underused, under, um, underrepresented role right now that, that's played by, this, by the Secretary of State. And I, I think it's just... It's just the the visible face to the office and to the state itself, and and when I when I started reading that 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 is something that that should be a little more visible, um, and so in how that's done is just whenever there's public inter- interfacing with the public, uh, shaking hands and inviting businesses and, and being a part, having kind of a glow when when you're talking about North Dakota. I had some great opportunities when I was young to move out of the state, and I just, I really love North Dakota and decided uh, right during the dot-com when everything was going just crazy and, and people were getting great offers, I said, the North Dakota is where I want to be the rest of my life. And someone who has that excitement and attitude for our state, I think we just need to be more inviting and, and excited about new business coming here. So you, you see, you kind of see the role as Secretary of State kind of to go out and reach people instead of um, gathering, um, kind of just running the office. Are you, so I guess I'll go a little pointed then. Do you think, um, are you kind of alleging then that the current Secretary of State doesn't do that, that the Secretary of State kind of, um, I know the Secretary of State's been there for um, over 20 years. Are you kind of saying that, he hasn't been out involved filling that role as ambassador, or um, what? What do you see there? You know, I, I just think it's just a big opportunity that that we could take advantage of. In um, when I when I hear our um, when I hear uh, our secretary, it's just not one of his 
skill sets, and I, I think he does. He's done a great job in the past in in making sure you know forms are registered. But there's just so much more that we can that we can aspire to in that in that area, and it's just one of the the gifts I have. I feel as a candidate more so than than any commentary on on any other candidate. I I just think it's just an important role. Uh, it's there's a lot more to discuss in the Secretary of State. That's just the first point is just having a more visible um, front okay, to, okay. to North then, Dakota. Yeah, yeah, and on your your third point, you talked about election integrity, and I know you kind of left that a little short. Um, what do you yeah. what do you envision with election integrity? Do you think we have we've had a kind of I read between the lines. Does that mean kind of a voter fraud? Do we have a voter? Do you think we have a voter fraud problem in North Dakota? Um, kind of yeah. what are your ways to make election integrity stronger? No, that's a great question. So as I was District 34 chairman here in Mandan of, of the Republican Party, and I was very concerned about the last election because we had a, a large contingency of, of protesters that were just outside of our town, and thousands and thousands when um, when we can win or lose elections by just very slim margins. That is a that's a very daunting scenario that you could have a bunch of people from around the country because um, they had just come there for, for who knows how much time, uh, walk up and vote in an election and, and, and uh, completely did, change. Did that happen in this last election? Did we have, I know there were worries about um, people from all over the country being here well, a lot. Drug, but yes. there, did that happen or what are you saying? We, we I, I think we, we dodged the bullet. There were, People calling up the county auditor's office here in Martin County, saying we need to be able to vote, and you're not going to disallow us to vote. And and um, what happened was, we were rec- the state was had passed laws to require voter ID, and the court struck that down, and said you have to let people vote without an ID. So what happened is is they had affidavits that were handed out at the ballot box. So if you approach the ballot box and say, I don't have an ID, then the poll worker said, well, they were forced to say, you you can just sign this affidavit. You can put put down your name, your phone number, and your email address, or your, your address, not your email, your phone and your name, and then you can vote. And then your vote will get stuck in with everyone else's vote. Well, there's no guarantee that who they wrote down is who they say they are, uh, is really who they are. And I, I would love to trust every person that comes to the to the ballot box, but as a policy, that's a very, that's a very hard thing for me to, to trust in, just to protect all the votes of all those who, who are living in our state uh, for the 30 days they, they're required to be here to vote. Okay. And then the last uh, yeah. election, we so have 16,000 uh, affidavits. So. so I want to stay online with this, Will. I want to talk with you. We have to go on a break here, but I want to talk about this affidavit process and a little more of election integrity after our break. Um, if anyone wants yeah. to join us, um, Will Gardner is running for Secretary of State for North Dakota. You can call 293-9000 or 888-979-329. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more with Will after the break. Seventy. This is Connor Swanson. I'm filling in for Rob Port today on the Rob Report. Um, we have an interesting conversation. We've got Will Gardner here. Uh, he's running for the Secretary of State as a Republican of North Dakota. Um, we have a caller here. She has a question for Will. Karen, Karen, you're on WDAY. Hello. Hi, Karen. 
technology can get to be too much. In Florida, they had those hanging chats for their election. In our election, we have a nice pencil method that works great. So technology can go too far. What do you think? Yeah, that, that's a great point, Karen. And I've worked in the legal business for uh, the last several years, uh, imp- implementing technology into the legal world. And if there's any, if there's any sector of business that uh, moves at a snail's pace for technology, it's been the legal business, just because people are they're just not used to using technology. But you have a very good point as far as the concern of of using too much technology too soon. And as the secretary, I would be cautious in in moving forward with some of the technology technological advances, especially when it pertains to to elections. I just, I have a trust issue with uh, with electronic submissions of, of votes, but I think there are some things that we can look into, in particular um, ways that we could vote, where sometimes I wonder if the pencil is really taking my vote. I'll, I'll shade in the circle and I'll wonder, well, did it really take in every single um, vote that I made? So maybe there's some things on the technology side where we could have a touch screen and, and then that can produce a, you know, some sort of ballot receipt that we know that our you know, vote was uh, checked. But I, I, I think those are just different ideas. I would proceed pretty cautiously when changing, um, tech, using technology too much with votes and, and during the election. And especially I want to be also conscious of, of cost because this is a one-time event uh, well, once or twice if you with the primary um, in a year, so you'd have to kind of weigh some of the cost benefit um, cost benefit analysis on that. Yeah, thank you for the call, Karen. I want to ask about uh, Will. Your so we talk about if there's a potential of changing the method of voting using electronic method or um, kind of changing anything really with our election process. I I'm no expert on the North Dakota process, but. I know a lot of it is legislatively decided and kind of how so the offices, our statewide offices, secretary of state, they um, they they kind of have to follow what the legislator does. They're kind of sure. the implementer. So how would you go if we're going to even change that? What can you do as the secretary of state? You would have to work with the legislature to change that, wouldn't you? That's right. So just my role will be more of a, a vocal ally. I like to use that word better than a bully pulpit because I the word bully. But um, but just being standing up beside our legislators because inevitably they'll ask the secretary of state who's 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 managing the process and they'll and they'll say, well, what do you think, Mr. Secretary? And I want to make sure that that our legislators, when they're doing the work of trying to provide fair elections, that I'm standing right with them and working side by side with them so that uh, people who, who want to know the opinion of the secretary in this, that um, there's some credibility that, that the press and, and, and other leaders will put on the opinion of the secretary. So Yeah, so then it's that your, is you're a, kind of working yeah. with the legislature on kind of those issues and changing things. We have another caller here, um, a question from caller Tom. Tom, you're here on WDAY, the Rob Report. Yeah, I got a couple of questions, actually. Uh, one is, um, how do you feel about the, the commission where Donald Trump has uh, decided to ask the states for personal and private information from the voters so that he can use it for his own purposes? And the second thing is, what do you think about the state's removal of 
the uh, private citizen be able to start um, initiatives? Good, good questions. Uh, first one, I, I just believe in privacy, uh, period. And so I would not, but right now I, I would not really be willing to to go forward with, with um, passing on any information that would be considered private. And I think there might be some discussion on what that might be. Um, but I, I'm concerned very much about privacy. And then, and then in your second um, question, um, let's see, Connor, maybe you can help yeah, me so out. Yeah, so it's about, it's about yeah. the initiated measure process. And um, I actually, oh, right. can, sure. yeah, so yeah. I want to, um, I actually sit on that committee, the initiated um, measure and refer measure committee. And I just kind of, to, to ease your mind, Tom, I know you kind of, the way you worded it was taking away the right of um, North Codens to, circulate a petition that that has not been discussed on the committee at all. And I, I don't think that was a part. And if anyone had that intention in creating the committee, because he's talking about the initiative revert measures committee, um, we've met now three times. Right. And right. yeah, if you've had any thought about that, I don't think if anyone had that goal of taking away this process, um, I, it's not going to go very far. The process will, the, the reason for this committee, the Initiated Referred Measures Committee, is to look at ways to make it easier. There have been a lot of the problems were um, wondering how the the language and the writing of um, the measures that are being passed. So I just have a couple seconds for you, uh, 20 seconds here with you, Will. Kind of will give you your closing sure. remarks on why you want to be Secretary of State for North Dakota. Right, and I, the last thing I'd just say is my business experience in, in implementing uh, software development projects I think is, is a huge asset to what's facing the office in the coming years, and I, I think that I could be a great asset there. Uh, and, and I also agree that we need to give people who are bringing initiated measures forward, we need to give them the tools to the Legislative Council and access to some of those tools to, to make better laws. So I think that's the compromise there. Awesome. Thank you, Will Gardner, running for the Secretary of State as a Republican. Thank you for joining us, Will. Thank you, Connor. Yeah. I appreciate And WDAY 970, this is the Rob Report. We'll be back after the break. Nine seventy WDAY. This is Connor Swanson. I'm in for Rob for today on the Rob Report. Uh, if you'd like to join us for a conversation, it's two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seventy nine three two nine, or you can email or text us at talk at wday.com. Um, so we just had Will Gardner on. Will Gardner is a Republican running for Secretary of State. I don't know. We ran out of time with him. Had some good callers. Um, we started talking about. Uh, under the affidavit process and the election process we have in North Dakota and the current process, is if you want to vote and you're supposed to have an ID or some kind of proof of where your residence is, you go to your polling place and that's kind of the easiest way. And the most people do it that way. They have their driver's license and then it has the address they live at and they vote and they're, and they're finished. And that's majority of the people who vote are that way. But we also have a process um, that was, the old process, it was changed and then reinstated by a judge's order. The affidavit process where if you go to your polling place and you do not have uh, proof of that you have lived at your polling place for 30 days, you can uh, sign an affidavit, which is essentially you are signing on a document that, yes, I am a legal voter. Yes, I'm allowed to live here. 
and then they put you vote and they put your vote into the pile of the other votes and a postcard is sent to your house and if the postcard is sent back saying no this vote was not cast correctly then that's marked down there isn't a process for uh going after these people in really that's kind of where we've been and this is this has been put in by the courts it's not something the legislature has tried to change it and even um Federal judge, there's an article today in the forum, federal judge allowing amended voter ID complaint against the new ID law. There's a new ID law passed in 2017 um, aimed at trying to help the affidavit process and our voting process in North Dakota. And as Will kind of said, one of his things is um, voter integrity. And it's, that's voter integrity is very important. And so is also making sure everyone is allowed to vote and there's a place for everyone to go. Um, and a lot of these bills, a lot of these complaints have come out of the reservations, this current, most current one from the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa, um, challenging the North Dakota voter ID law. And a lot of the tribes have had taken issue often with these changes because they thought it might stymie uh, Native American voting. So it's a very interesting thing uh, to be following. Uh, different. I know the legislature tries to fix it, and I, I think we'll get someplace. It's important that everyone has a right to vote, um, but that your vote is real. and. Um, kind of a real thing with these affidavits I've noticed. I've worked on legislative campaigns in the past, and um, just in this last 2016, uh, there were multiple legislative races that were within the margin of error for uh, affidavits. There may have been a couple hundred affidavits passed or voted with, used to vote, and the voting margin was less than that. So they really have real actions. I don't want to say consequences, but there are still real results um, there. And we have Jim on the air with us. Jim has a question or a comment about voter affidavits. Uh, you're on, Jim. Yeah, hi. Say, I guess it's always baffled me how people can consider it disenfranchisement if you're not allowed to vote because you can't prove who you are. I mean, who in this day and age does not have a photo ID uh, of some kind whatsoever? And, and you know, this, this this argument that, oh, well, it's not a problem out there, so we, we do really don't need it. But, you know, we're trying to avoid a problem. And I think I think it's really short-sighted, and, and I think it's ridiculous that people shouldn't, uh, aren't required to prove who they are before they vote. Uh, thank you, Jim. Thanks for that. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of, I tend to agree with you. Um, I And I guess I haven't been a person who, um, I was recently a college student, and I get that. There was the there was a option to have a um, in the previous law, which was deemed the courts suspended for students to get a student certificate where they could vote, say where they're voting. They didn't have to have it on their ID. And I kind of agree with that. But the courts, the courts have found differently that they say that um, these affidavits allow um, people not to be disenfranchised. And um, though I would tend to agree um, with the caller. Uh, the courts disagree, and that's the society we live in in our process. And I'm very happy to follow the process. And I think the legislative process will move forward. Um, as as of now, the uh, next election will still include the 2018 for the primary election and for the uh, general election will include affidavits. And that's, that's the world we live in and the rules we're under. And um, we'll just have to follow them gladly and respect our process. Uh, so I wanted to talk about a couple other things here. Um, and I should also make that clear. So Will Gardner is running for um, the Secretary of State 
Uh, and that's at the state convention, the GOP state convention. If you want to um, vote for Will or um, vote in that race, um, that is at the state convention being held in April, if you want to be a delegate to that um, for the Republican state convention. But kind of reading some articles here, uh, I, this kind of takes Rob's thunder. I know Rob has kind of talked about um, Al Franken, Senator Franken from Minnesota, um, just even an article this morning about Franken planning an event for supporters because polls are saying they want him still there. They want Franken to stay, and we know that Franken has resigned or said he w- said his intentions to resign from the Senate, and uh, the governor, Mark Dayton, has appointed his lieutenant governor, Tina Smith, or said he will appoint Tina Smith to replace Franken. But it's interesting to me that... Um, We've kind of been preparing for this, and that's kind of, and I know it was Rob's thought all along of, well, what if he doesn't actually resign? And um, that would be interesting to put the tail on. I know if, because Franken resigns, then that puts the Senate seat on the ballot in 2018 with newcomer Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith on the ballot. And that's important for the kind of context that we have nationally, because we have 51 Republicans, 49 Democrats, uh, with the Vice President Mike Pence uh, breaking any tie votes. But if he doesn't resign, then that keeps it off. He's not on for election until 2020. So uh, that's important. I could see if I was a Democrat, I would be kind of wary about replacing um, Senator Franken because it puts another race on the map for 2018, which by most margin was supposed to be kind of a competitive year for Republicans to pick off some Democrats. But And even though Minnesota had been a pretty deep blue for many years, even uh, President Trump came very close, surprisingly close, to defeating uh, Hillary Clinton there, But although she won in the end run. Um, so then I also saw there's an article today. There's a letter, opinion letter in the forum, and I'm sorry for doing this. I, <laughs> it, I know this is what he wants, and this is what they want us to talk about, and we'll kind of get to that issue, but um, article of Letter of too many women must be at the top of the forum food chain. And this is a guy um, who has written many editorials or many, many um, opinion articles to the forum just, and they're pretty incendiary. And I think, well, it's clearly it's on purpose about many different issues. And um, this one, he kind of goes to, um, he kind of hits on the big theme of our society right now is kind of sexual harassment and men in, kind of if we're men abusing their place of power and making women feel uncomfortable. And I'm totally, I like that. I think this is a good conversation we're having. It's good direction for our society to be saying, are we treating all people, um, women, LGBT, all races, treating them equally? And that's kind of a conversation big in our society right now. And I know I'm speaking on the opposite side of um, what Mr. Moser was the one who wrote this said, but I think it's a very good conversation for us to have that, um, we are a great country, and we have been, and we were founded as kind of a place for equality, and we have a lot of a lot of ground to cover and a lot of ground to make up in regards to um, equal rights for women, LGBT rights, um, minority rights, religious minority rights. Um, so I was wondering, uh, I guess I was taking a different um, turn on this than I intended to in the first place, but I just... And I know a lot of people will criticize if you see on the Facebook page of, oh, I can't believe Forum, I can't believe other organizations that I'm even talking about this right now, that someone has this opinion that he basically believes um, 
I'm paraphrasing from his words here that women are too sensitive on this and that it's not happening. And um, I'd, I disagree. And I, a lot of people will say that we shouldn't be talking about this. We're giving him a platform. And I disagree. I think everyone deserves a platform. And you deserve to have your opinions out in the air and to be proven wrong and to be proven that we need to be making strides for all people. So, yes, I think we should talk about this kind of article and these different things. And when someone has an opinion that I think is repugnant, we should talk about it and we should air it and we should prove them wrong. So um, thank you for listening. We're still we'll come back. We'll have a break. We'll be coming back with you more. Uh, 970 The Rob Report. This is Connor Swanson in for Rob Port. Connor Swanson filling in for Rob um, Rob Port on 970 WDAY. Um, if you want to join here today, you can call at 293-9000-888-970-9329. Um, going back uh, to a previous conversation, we're talking about voter ID and the affidavit process. I got an email in from Brad. Um, Brad says, is it really that hard to get an ID? Um, and I don't think, again, I've I don't know the complete uh, everything behind it. But I think kind of the thing, the thought about it is, is people moving often. Um, and some of those, there are different communities, different groups of people that move more often, less likely to have kind of a stable um, living situation. Honestly, and- Connor, it's not even just so much that. I grew up in a rural place in North Dakota. And when I got my driver's license, I had to schedule a very specific day at a very specific time to do it because the DMV came to Lisbon once a month. And if I didn't do it then, if I wasn't able to get in to get it, then I wouldn't have been able to get it. And we were in a location where the DMV actually came once a month. There are plenty of places across the state that don't even have that luxury. And for people living on the reservations who are the individuals that are most affected by voter ID laws, it's most of them don't even have a vehicle. So they can't just jump in their car and drive 30, 40, 50 miles to the nearest location to get a printed ID. Yeah, and that's an important point to make because a lot of the voters in our um, in North Dakota are rural. I don't know the specific breakdown, but we do. And that kind of gets glossed over. A lot of it, a lot of the focus of the affidavit issue is in kind of our larger communities like Fargo, Bismarck, um, where you can just walk in. I could walk into the DMV and of course, notoriously, in North Dakota, I think we do a pretty good job, but notoriously DMV is a slower place elsewhere. But yeah, that's an important point of um, access, access to, and I think that's kind of where the courts get at it and the judges get to is access to driver's license, access to not even just a driver's license. It could be a regular ID. Um, and I know there's there's also an issue with, I might have a North Dakota ID and let's say I live, I'll just pick the town because that's where I grew up, but in Bowman, North Dakota, and I decide to move to Fargo and I go into where I've lived in this place maybe for a year, but I think it's, I think some of it might be, um, Natil, maybe you might think so kind of maybe an education thing as well. Not education of people aren't educated, but people don't know that they have to change their ID. You have to change it 30 days before, um, that, that might be the people don't really know that that's the requirement. Well, and for a lot of students who, you know, maybe grew up in Grafton and have their driver's license associated with Grafton but are going to school at UND, 
they don't necessarily change their driver's license information to UND because their permanent mailing address is still at home in Grafton. But when voting time comes around, are they going to drive back to Grafton to vote or are they going to want to try to vote at somewhere in Grand Forks? Oh, yeah, I'm not driving back to Grafton. <laughs> I guess <laughs> exactly. That. Yeah, it's, a, it's a drive. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting issue. Thanks for the thank you for the email and reigniting that conversation, Brad. I think again now we've this is the third time in this just segment we've popped back to this. I think it's a really important issue that will be in and out of for a while. Voting the right to vote is very important. Um, we just have a few minutes left of this segment, but I wanted to stop in um, kind of an important issue for me. But first, because um, if now new news about um, Roy Moore in Alabama, the saga continues. I just kind of wish he would just go away. I didn't like him in the first place. And then, but um, the Alabama Secretary of State says Jones, the Democrat, who will be the first Democrat in over 20 years to represent Alabama in the United States Senate, will be certified um, sometime today, this afternoon. And then he'll be sworn in by the vice president on January 3rd. I think that's good motions for our democracy of um, Roy Moore. Now, thank, thankfully, not Senator Roy Moore um, is just asking court to block again um, just today, asking court to block putting um, Doug Jones in as the senator. And he wants to call a new Senate election. And I think this is a attack on democracy to my standpoint. Um, what I have wanted, I, I, I would have loved to see a Republican win the Alabama Senate race. I think any other Republican would have won the Alabama Senate race except for someone like Roy Moore, someone with repugnant views on um, views and then views that he thinks should be infiltrating the Republican Party, which the party has been one of um, free markets and smaller government and um, kind of a live and let live mentality uh, for so long. And Roy Moore kind of flew in the face of the law. He uh, twice was removed as Supreme Court, the chief of the Supreme Court of Alabama, the first time for refusing to remove um, a Ten Commandments monument after he had been ordered. The They had been ordered to by the courts. Um, he flew that in the face of the law. The second was with the um, Supreme Court when Supreme Court uh, ruled same-sex marriage to be legal across the country. And um, Roy Moore r- refused to acknowledge that and said that wasn't applicable in Alabama. And he was removed for that. And I think that was a good thing. This is a person who... Um, does not follow the rules of the United States and flies in the face of it. And I think it was a good thing, not just for our country, but for the Republican Party, that he was not elected to be United States senator. I think our party, the party that I ascribe to, the Republican Party, is has the better ideas. We have, we have better ideas for free markets, better ideas for um, your individual liberties. And we should continue that way. But then when it gets clouded by personal belief and personal vendettas to go over the rule of law that we have and to not follow the process we have is really dangerous. So I'm glad he lost. I just hope he goes away now. Um, we'll beat. I think I saw some somebody post, you know, congratulations, Doug Jones. We'll see you in 2020. And that's it. Well, he'll be ran against in a very Republican state in 2020. And we'll probably have a Republican center from Alabama in 2020. So that's good news, I think. Um, so we'll begin off to the break here, the one o'clock hour. Don't go away. We'll be having Betty Grandy, former state representative, um, joining me to talk about um, very interesting conversation about Israel and um, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. 
970 WDAY. This is the Rob Report. WDAY, this is Connor Swanson in for Rob Port on the Rob Report today. Um, if you want to join us, 293-9000-888-970-9329. We've had a good conversation today, um, quite a few callers coming in. So I was just right before we went off for the break, I was talking about um, Roy Moore and kind of Steve Bannon was the big push behind that. And um, my I kind of have the same opinions about Steve Bannon as I do for Roy Moore. And... I guess some good news maybe that uh, I like this article because it really bridges my two conversations. The next I want to have um, Steve Bannon said there was a, there was a challenger to Paul Ryan. Um, his name was Paul Nealon and he tweeted, he tweeted out about this book that is a pretty anti-Semitic book. And um, a lot of people kind of called him out on that. A lot of conservatives and Steve Bannon apparently quote saying he is dead to us now so that's some good news i think maybe that if we're there are at least even in the minds of steve bannon there are some red lines you can't cross i don't know i'm a little pessimistic about it but um that's good to know that some people have a little bit of a conscious um so why i say that kind of um translates well here um the next few minutes we'll be having betty grandy will be joining us she's a former state legislator um, I know as a legislator, she was very active in pro-Israel causes, um, and she'll be joining us to talk about that. So I won't get into that now. I'll save that for when Miss um, Grandy is here. But um, the with that issue, because it all stems a lot with um, President Trump naming the capital or naming our um, American embassy as in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel. Um, I just don't even with this topic. It's just such a big convoluted um, issue that there are a lot of opinions and a lot of emotions on all sides of the Israel debate. Um, ever since Israel, when Israel was formulated in 1948, um, largely as kind of it was seen kind of as a refugee for, or a refuge, excuse me, for a lot of refugees um, fleeing survivors of the Holocaust. Um, and Jewish people from all around the world um, came to Israel kind of as a safe haven, dreaming of this place to call their own for so long. Um, and it was basically immediately right when um, it was, pro- I guess, a problem with bringing these displaced people, which desperately needed a home, was there were other people also that lived there and called it a home. <laughs> Excuse me. So... Um, yeah, so that kind of that has its own issues and problems to go with, which I know many of us are aware of uh, those there. But immediately right once Israel declared their independence in 1948, many of the neighboring countries declared war. Um, the Arabic countries around um, decided they were going to declare war on the fledgling state, and miraculously Israel kind of fought alone and won. And um, through multiple wars and different attacks by their neighbors, uh, Jerusalem has, or excuse me, Jerusalem, I'm looking at Jerusalem as I say that, Israel has um, taken on some more territory. Um, the the Gaza Strip, uh, East Jerusalem, West Bank, which was controlled by 
the Jordanians, and then was one um, in the Golan Heights, which was an area of Syria. And um, kind of the status of these areas has been disputed by some. Israel claims them to be um, their their territory. I know I don't think many people in the world are clamoring to give the Golan Heights back to Syria right now um, with just kind of the state of their government and state of what's happening there with the Syrian civil war. So I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon, but there is a lot of consternation around it. And, um, but I think this issue gets to more, um, which I'll have um, with Miss Grandy later about kind of a sovereignty issue of um, different countries and what we can decide to do. And throughout the years, there have been different um, countries have changed their, and use their right as sovereign countries as diplomatic pressure or diplomatic representation of what do they believe, what do they, who do they recognize. Um, you have Palestine, the Palestinian Authority, which has a um, a seat at the table at the UN. They have a non-voting member status, the as and they're called the State of Palestine at the United Nations. Um, though they are the Palestinian Authority is the recognized kind of voice for the people, Palestinian people living in Gaza, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, they are not, they are of course not the unified voice. There are many different groups um, in these areas. Hamas is one of them that controls um, the Gaza Strip. You have different factions kind of fighting for this, the control to be the representative of the Palestinian people. Um, And you have had different countries that, either recognize or don't recognize both Israel and um, Palestinian Authority as the rightful um, representatives of the people of the region. So it, and that's kind of what I go to. It's your, it's a country's prerogative to recognize another country, of course, but it's also a country's duty to, I think, recognize what, what is reality. And a large reality of the area is that Israel is the representative of the Jewish people in that area in the Middle East, and and it's a democracy. It's though with its flaws, like like I will say about the United States, we definitely have our flaws, but we're working on it. Uh, we're we're working, and we're we have a process, a democratic process to walk through that. A democratic process. If I deem something not right, if I deem something unjust, I can talk to my legislators. I can talk to different people. I can run for office myself and. It's that's the way it works in our country. And um, though I'm no expert on Israeli politics, on Israeli politics, it's similar in Israel. I will not say the same at all because there are many differences. And I don't think there are a lot of countries such as ours with the way we do things. But I think that's the great thing about our American experiment. So we'll be talking with Betty about that um, here. I guess I'll go um, segue back in. I'm jumping topics around, but that's kind of the way my brain works. Um, I don't know about Steve Bannon. I just, with the 2018 election coming up, um, with different incumbents being primaried, uh, I know some people think it's healthy. Maybe it's healthy for democracy. What do you think, Natil, about just there's going to be almost every Republican, so it seems, that they're going to have a primary challenge. What do, you, do you think that's kind of healthy for our democracy, that there's so much going on and the Democratic Party has it similar as well as with Bernie Sanders. What do you kind of think about that? I think it's absolutely healthy. I think we finally reached a point in 
the country where the the younger generations, and I say younger generation, meaning age 30, 35 and younger, realizing that the people that we've elected into office and that have been elected into office before us are not representing the worldview that we have about our country, our states, our world, our society. And in order to remove those people, they have to be challenged in the primaries. Because once you get to the the official ballot box, if somebody goes up to the ballot box that, you know, didn't necessarily participate in the primaries, didn't pay attention to the primary races, and they see D and R, if they align mostly with one of those two letters, they're going to vote for that individual. And they're not going to know whether or not, you know, that R that they aligned with happens to have been in office for the last 25 years and hasn't voted for anything that they necessarily agree with in the last 15 so having those changes happen in the primaries is going to hopefully get a lot more people engaged with the process and also bring in fresh ideas, fresh blood, and hopefully some actual motion into our political I agree system. That the engagement in the primary is very important to me. Of, um, I think it's one thing to have a primary election, and but then you don't have people engaged, and you'll get a lot of times you'll get a nominee that comes out of the primary, uh, i.e., Roy Moore that is not electable at all. So I think that's very important to get engaged. I, I think we might have an opportunity to start getting engaged in the primary process. Please do. Please join your primaries. Go to your, in North Dakota, you don't have to register. That's one thing that kind of goes along with our voting policies. But you don't have to register to vote here. But get involved. Pay attention to your primaries. Pay attention to your party conventions because it's important because the person and it might be like Nateel said the person that you're voting for on your party line is not the kind of person you actually want to vote for so get involved pay attention look it up um we'll be going to a break here after the break uh we'll be having um betty grandy will be joining us um former representative betty grandy will be talking about um jerusalem and the president trump moving the embassy to jerusalem so stay tuned Nine seventy WDAY. This is the Rob Report. I'm Connor Swanson in for Rob Port today on this December twenty eighth. If you want to join us today, I've got uh, former Representative Betty Grandy here uh, joining me. We're going to have a good conversation about Israel and um, President Trump uh, moving our embassy to Jerusalem. You can call in at 293-9000 or 888-970-9329 or email or text us at talk at WDAY.com. So we'll get started with this. Um, thank you, uh, with Rep- former Representative Betty Grandy. Thank you for joining us here today, Betty. My pleasure. Yeah, good to have you. Um, great. Did you have a great Christmas? I did. I awesome. did. I drove. I'm from out in the western side of the state, much like you are and drove the way and I kind of I like as good as the weather was nice but I enjoy that drive across our state yeah um, it is beautiful yes it is beautiful I had uh I think four different Christmases yeah it just was a great time I I love December it's a uh, such a festive wonderful month good good well we've had it with that being festive we've had a lot of um on kind of the top we're talking about a lot of festive good thing I think good things for those of us who are supporters of Israel um coming from our 
the Trump administration and from our Republican administration here. Um, early this December, um, the president kind of called it a Christmas present for um, for us is when we moved the uh, embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. Um, no country had had their currently had their embassy in Jerusalem until we moved it there, which is the capital of Jerusalem and has been ever since shortly after Israel declared independence. They have claimed it their capital. And the president moved the embassy to Jerusalem, which is something that was passed as a law in 1995 by Congress that we recognize our, the capital as Jerusalem. But every president since has not done so, citing the issues surrounding Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the peace deal, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but he did it. He moved it. Um, and kind of what, it, what I think it's good news. What do you think about that, Betty? What do you, what do you, how do you think that goes forward? Well, I think it's a great news. It's great news the way uh, the president did it in the fact that uh, actually their gift for Hanukkah and uh, bringing light to the, the old city of Jerusalem uh, by bringing the embassy there. And I think it's going to be great. It's going to take a while to make the final move to where the building will actually be occupied by our um, dig- dignitaries and, and such. But the fact is that um, he came out recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And for seven decades, we have ignored that. And it's, it's time that we stepped out and made that bold move. And you know, what's interesting is, you know, at, uh, people are kind of acting like that we're the first ones to ever do this. And that's not true. Um, back before 1980, there were a number of countries that had their embassies in Jerusalem. The U.N. didn't like it. Um, and so they made, started doing their usual thing and bashed away at uh, Israel and scared off these um, countries that there were 13 of them at the time. And they all moved then to Tel Aviv. And now we're just moving it back to where it really belongs. Well, good. Um, so after this happened, there was a kind of the outcry. You brought up the U.N. Um, in the U.N. about it from kind of a lot of the um, Arabic countries in the region by doing this and saying, oh, you're going to upend the peace process. You are your Palestinian Authority leader, I think, said something to the effect of the United States is no longer a unbiased broker of peace anymore. And. Our response as a country has been that's just not true. We are we we hold to a peace. We want peace, and it's up to the the parties to decide. So the United Nations um, and the Security Council voted fourteen to one to condemn this act um, with our with our ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, voting against it. And then it was brought forward with, as a UN resolution. And I'm kind of more fascinated with what this means with the UN and. The act to Israel, um, the way they react with Israel, um, the vote was kind of very lopsided. And it was to be expected that many countries voted to condemn not just Israel, but us, the United States. And what do you make of that vote? Well, it's it's very historical when you go back to the voting that's taken place in the U.N. on on the issues of Israel. And one of those critical ones really came at the end of things a year ago, uh, the very end of the previous administration, the U.N., knew they had to make one final grasp at things. And um, the U.S., because of the previous administration's stance with Israel and, and their relationship being a very poor relationship, with Stain, 
they didn't they didn't take the vote and they had the opportunity to veto. Yeah, and and, to, and that was and that was a settlement. That yes, was a settlement resolution. The settlement yeah. resolution, but the critical piece of the settlement resolution for the first time ever included East Jerusalem. And so when when they did that, they they made a move that historically should have never taken place and it and it goes back in the great history of, of Israel and, and how things had gone in the peace, uh, the peace talks. Um, you had the previous uh, leaders uh, before uh, Bibi or uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu um, had um, stood very strongly that uh, Jerusalem was never a part of the peace talks. That was always the stance until along came one time. And I'm trying to think of the year they uh, they had a different president, Yura uh, 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 Barak. Um, uh, uh, Baruch. Yeah, and and so he said, "Okay, uh, let's go to meet with the United States and let's broker a deal." And so they sit down, and he and Arafat start talking about what to do. And he actually offered half of Jerusalem and the West Bank to the Palestinians. The offer was on the table with Clinton. And Arafat refused. So they, the Palestinians have already been offered everything and took nothing. Yeah, and that's kind of been, that's been a lot of this. And we'll get back to this after the break. I want to continue this conversation we just got into. It, but that's been a lot of the back and forth and this, this issue of just moving the um, embassy that's why it's such a big issue because it's not just where this building is. It's it's a lot of sentiments and opinions. So um, we'll get back after the break. We'll be back. Um, this is Connor Swanson in for Rob Port on 970 WDAY here with Betty Grandy. Stay tuned. Nine seventy WDAY. This is Connor Swanson in for Rob Port today on the Rob Report. You can call in 293-9000-888-970-9329 or email or text us at talk at WDAY.com. And I'm sitting here reuniting our conversation. Um, former representative Betty State Representative Betty Grandy and I are talking about Jerusalem and the Trump administration moving the American embassy to Jerusalem. And um, I know it's kind of important to get a just a grasp on this is a the the holy land for many religions and this is a very contested area and um betty kind of has a little bit of a history about jerusalem and kind of why this is so important so she'll share with us um kind of the history of jerusalem yeah and i'm going to do it in just little snippets i mean there's great history that you can go on for obvious long long ways but I mean, you can go, you go back to the beginning when the Canaanites, you know, formed and started the city of Jerusalem. And then along came King David. Um, they captured it. He purchased it then and built it as the capital uh, for the Jewish people. And after that, his son Solomon built the temple there. Nebuchadnezzar came along, destroyed the temple. Then, uh, you know, 50 years later, the Persians came along and then great uh Alexander the Great came in and conquered it. So it's been over and over and over again. You can see how everybody wants to take this city, most not knowing why. Um, but during that uh, time, there was great suppression of the Jews, and the revolt came from the Jews with the Maccabees, and that's where we just had se- just celebrated Hanukkah because of that. 
And so the temple was rededicated at that time for the Jews. And then, uh, but at the same time, there was a deal cut with the Romans. And the Romans then eventually came in a century later and then just made a mess of things. King Herod was installed as the ruler there. And we all know what Herod and, and the Jews did at that point. They had the crucifixion of Jesus. And with that, uh, when Jesus uh, went to the cross at, at his will because of him being the Savior, uh, did so. And this revolt came forward there. And again, the temple is destroyed down again after that with the Roman legions. <clears throat> and so it keeps going back and forth. And a little bit of fight starts then with Constantine. He wants the Church of the Holy Sep- Sepulchre there. And so now... We've got two religions there, and the Muslims then decide to invade. We're now at uh, 600 plus uh, A.D., and um, in that, then the Dome of the Rock is built. And so now you have three religions fighting over the same little piece. And so the Crusades come about. uh, There's great massacres by the Christians of the Jews and the Muslims at that time. They're establishing that as the Crusaders' kingdom. Um, and now we're at 1247, Jerusalem then fell to Egypt, and um, then eventually uh, Islam takes over again. Jerusalem is, uh, began to thrive once again in the 19th century because the Jews started to return to the land, and that's kind of where some of this comes about. We have then the UN peace issues and all of that starts to play. Now we're kind of coming towards that modern time. And so you can see how this land, this one poor little city has had destruction and takeovers over and over again for It's really kind of a story of a lot of different different rule, different change, diff- different people claiming it as as home. Absolutely. It's a unique a unique city in it's the one of the only in the world that has an association of three monolithic religions all in one place. And in the, the holy precedence is set there. It's just profound, you know, religious and spiritual significance by the Christians, by the Muslims, by the Jews. It's amazing. Yes, so this this is an area, and this is, again, it's at the, that's just kind of to add some context of how move, uh, moving our embassy to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, is so inflammatory for many people. But I don't really think it's that inflammatory of a move for us to do. Um, I just kind of found this article it was from yesterday interesting that um, the Israelis obviously love it. Um, Israel plans, they're planning a rail station near the Western Wall in yeah. East Jerusalem named after President Trump, named after our president. So they obviously um, kind of says fr- um, Trump pr- frenzy, so to say. Um, so it's something they support. And um, we get down to it, Israel is one of our allies. And... Um, it's no secret Israel is one of the only democracies in the Middle East, and they are they're an ally of ours. They stand for human rights. They stand for um, the rule of law. And while there are many different countries in the region that don't, and there are human rights from women to LGBT, different people that fear for their lives every day. And in Israel, it's a place where even if you're Israeli, if, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, if you're Christian, there's a place for you there. Mm-hmm. And in Jerusalem... Under Israeli control, uh, before we were talking a little bit off the break um, about that, the Six-Day War, when Israel came into control of um, East Jerusalem, Jews weren't allowed in at the Western Wall. And there was a, 
about a 20 year period where um, if you were to walk by there, it'd be empty. There would be no one there. So I think it's goes to say that Israel and I think Betty had a um, quote there that if Israel is in control, then um, things are a little more peaceful and it's um, more people are allowed access to the sites. Yeah. I mean, uh, President Netanyahu has always been very uh, fluent, uh, fluent with his words. And, and uh, he, he gave a speech once and, and his quote is that if the Arabs were to put down their weapons today, there would be no more violence. If the Jews put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel. And, and that's the sad scenario that plays out. And as you just mentioned, we had, we had about 20 years where, where the Jewish people weren't allowed into their holy place. Yet once they took back the city of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War, all religions were free to worship with inside the walls of Jerusalem. So you can see that the peace and the, the freedom precedence has already been set by Israel. They have stated, there's, there's the Dome of the Rock, you worship there. Here's the, way, the, the Western Wall, we worship here. Now, yes, they would like to have more of their area back to be able to worship in, but for now, that's what it is. And, and the Catholics and, and the Christians, they have that holy territory that they, uh, you know, worship in, in Jerusalem. And so, you know, it, it, yeah, it's kind of, it's a place for a lot of religions and they're allowed there. And um, Kind of going back more on some of the conversation we had of um, the United Nations. So the United States announced that we are withdrawing $285 million. We're cutting that from the UN budget because of this vote on condemning the United States on Jerusalem. And um, we, we got to go on a break here, but we can talk about this when we come back. Um, right. We can, we'll finish this conversation. Get back to the UN talking about our support of the United Nations and where the United States and Israel stand at the United Nations. So this is 970 WDAY, The Rob Report. We'll be back right after the break. Nine seventy WDAY. This is the Rob Report. I'm Connor Swanson, filling in for Rob Port today. Um, got Betty Grandy here. We're still talking about um, Jerusalem. Uh, if you want to participate, you can give us a call at 293-9000-888-970-9329 or give us email or text us at talk at WDAY.com. Um, so right before the break, we were talking about uh, the United Nations and and how we talked about the vote at the United Nations where just nine countries voted um, against the resolution, which was condemning, saying, in quote, null and void the motion by our president to move our embassy to the United, to Jerusalem, the United States Jeru- uh, embassy to, Jeru- to Jerusalem. But as we know that we are a sovereign country and it didn't act, it wasn't a binding resolution. And if I've got this picture of our um, Nikki Haley here, she said, we are going, this doesn't change the fact we're going to move it. Um, so the United States is going to be cutting $285 million in the UN budget because um, we are the largest country contributor to the United Nations. And for many years, we have been, we've kind of been seen as the leader of the world. And it also shows that um, the headquarters of the United Nations is in New York. Um, so we have, and as Nikki Haley said in her speech to the United Nations, um, 
we are a democracy and we um, are beholden to the people. And we've been doing this investment into the United Nations for years. And we expect a return on our investment when we come in and we support the this body. And then this body decides to lambast us for exercising our right as a sovereign nation. We're not going to tolerate that. So um, I th- that's the step we've taken is cutting some of the money from the U.N. budget that we support. Because um, we are responsible for 22% of the annual budget. So I think that's a change. Do you think there's a change... Um, Betty, do you think this shows kind of a change in the United States towards the United Nations, our interaction with them? Absolutely. I think what it does is it starts to say that we're going to start standing up for ourselves. We're not going to be an apologetic nation anymore. We're going to stand up and be the great nation that we are. And it doesn't mean, by saying that, it doesn't mean we're putting anybody else down, but we are going to stand up for what we believe in, what we stand for, and that take the power that we have been endowed with. And, and that's, that's critically important. You know, you talk about 22% of the budget also it, that, that we give to the UN. But the other thing is we give them all that land in New York. I mean, just think about it. These, everybody's sitting there on, in the UN. That's all tax-free. And, boy, could New York use that money if we started putting a tax on some of that. You know, it, it's just amazing. And, and these dignitaries all live there basically lawlessly. Because they don't, they they can declare, you know, uh, I, you can't do anything to me, and it, it's just, uh, it's time we kind of stood up and said, you know what, we've had enough, and UN, you don't tell us what to do. You're there for a different purpose, and it's not to to rule in and and decide how one country is going to be treated or or done done away with. Do you think, uh, kind of some? Some of the detractors of this, and though some of them have pretty interesting records on human rights, but some of the detractors say, well, this goes against the um, United States kind of that we're bullying the United Nations, that we are throwing our weight around. And they say that violates the principle of the United Nations, that everyone is to come together and everyone is on equal footing and work together. There were some that say that violates us doing this violates that trust of the United Nations. Well, what's interesting with that is they're they're saying that we're val- violating a trust by stating that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. But the problem with that is is Jerusalem has been acknowledged as the internal capital of the Jewish people for more than 3000 years and that has been the status all along. So w- w- all we have done is helped one country reinforce what's always been there and has always been that fact. And so that was his first, that was President Trump's first statement that 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 we acknowledge this capital and in every other country if we're going to have an embassy we have it at the capital. And that's all he's done is it's very simple and if you want to read more into it as some are wanting to then they can. But what he has stated is, this is not anything to do with peace deals. This isn't anything to do with any of that. Well, let's just start with the basics. That's the capital. Here's the embassy. Yeah, and I uh, found it interesting. Um, Jake Tapper did a, a great segment. Um, he's on CNN about um, there have been 90, about 93, uh, 97, excuse me, resolutions criticizing <laughs> one country. 97. And 83 of them have been 
on Israel, targeting Israel. That's 83 out of 97 targeting just one country. That is a democracy. And I don't, I mean, I won't say that Israel is above criticism, or I don't think any country is above criticism, but uh, don't you think with 97, there are some other countries that deserve some of that, some of that love from the United Nations, North Korea, exactly, uh, exactly. I, Iran, Venezuela. You know, and yeah, you know, where are they on on uh, North Korea, and and what's going on there? Where are they at on what's going on in Iran? What you know? What is the problem that they have with Israel versus any other place? I agree. Thank you, Betty, for joining us today. That's Betty Grandy, former representative, um, state representative of North Dakota. Uh, that's all I've got today. Uh, Connor Swanson in for Rob Port. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, we will have a great rest of your day and have a happy New Year.